Hey there, podcast listeners. The holiday season is upon us, and we've got something truly special for you. It's the five-day Advent Challenge starting on December 4th. In just 20 minutes a day, you'll rediscover your place in Jesus' story and celebrate the true meaning of Advent. But that's not all. You'll also be part of a vibrant online community, sharing heartwarming insights and growing in faith together. So if you're ready to embrace the spirit of the season, find inspiration, and connect with like-minded individuals, join in on this journey. Register now by visiting faithlead.org. Hello, everyone. I'm Dr. D. Stokes. And I'm Dr. Dwight Shiley. Welcome to the Pivot Podcast. If you're new here, this is the podcast where we talk about how the church can faithfully navigate a changing world. One of the key pivots we've been exploring in this series is the pivot from focusing on making and sustaining members of voluntary association institutions to making disciples of Jesus. This is not to say that faithful institutional church members can't be faithful disciples. Of course they can. For many, these things do overlap, but not always, as we know. Think about the people in many pews who would call themselves religious but not spiritual, for instance. What we're interested in exploring is where the primary focus in the church is. Is it gaining and retaining voluntary association members, or is it forming disciples of Jesus? The fact of the matter is that many legacy congregations were not designed primarily to form disciples in today's cultures. And that makes this a really vital pivot for us to explore. Now listen, today is a really special episode. We have with us today Reverend Dr. Un Strausser, who is a co-vocational lead pastor of Make Alo'o, which means presence in Hawaii. And it's a non-denominational missional community multiplying in Honolulu, Hawaii. Uh, Dr. Strausser is a physician. She's also an executive leader at the V3 movement, the church planting movement. She is also the author of a new book called Centering Discipleship. And if I had those little clap things, I would clap for you, but I don't have that. And I guess we don't have that in our repertoire. So welcome, Reverend Dr. Un Strausser. Thank you, Dr. D. Thank you, Dwight, for having me. <laughs> so, you know, for so many of us, we have been uh, just thinking about what's happened in the devastation in Maui and um, praying. And so just give us an update. Tell our listeners uh, what's going on and how we can all be praying. Yeah, I think the biggest prayer and um, for, for our church community, really working with a lot of mainland organizations who are also trying to offer some help. It's been, you know, if we all don't do the, the, the good work of exegeting our local culture, this is when it matters, right? And so uh, I think the biggest hardship has been how do you care for a really deeply cultural uh, indigenous population who has felt like they've lost everything 
because they have, um, but really um, also uh, uh, provide resources and care and support in a way that doesn't garner a lot of suspicion. So that actually has been the, the, the bigger work uh, for us. Um, our local community uh, identified really quickly that four of, of our member families have been directly impacted with uh, families in, in Lahaina. And so our work is to uh, just directly work uh, with them. So um, each family probably represents about a, a hundred uh, people, including their neighbors um, and their, their family structures. So we're probably working to serve about 400 um, uh, folks there, but we just have access to them because we have a local community. Mm, thank you for sharing that. Um, yeah. Well, so you have a very rich vocational and cultural background that spans continents yourself. Tell us a bit about your story and then how God led you into ministry. Yeah, I love telling this story because um, I think uh, uh, Brandon Renter and Alexia Salvatiers, they always say that if they, if you if we as as leaders and ministry workers don't understand our own lineage and how that affects our local and current work, then it's something that we ought to also explore, right? Um, I also think that most of us probably, if we want to go into vocational ministry, we have something else you know, full of expectation in mind when we go in. And God just does really, really interesting things. So um, my family uh, uh, and I, we were all born in South Korea. Uh, during the 80s, there was a big, wide open pool of, of, of immigrants coming from East Asia. Uh, the U.S. is looking for a lot of uh, uh, white collar professional uh, um, um, migrants to, to, to move over. So my family had an opportunity then. Um, uh, and then they closed the border down quickly because there was there was too much of an influx, uh, so we always feel like we just kind of made it in, and there was a whole collection of people, especially in the East Coast um, and in the West Coast, of uh, Korean uh, uh, immigrants coming in. So I'm a first generation, or what we call 1.5 uh, generation, because I got to learn English faster than my parents. Um, we moved to to Philadelphia. I did all my my growing up and adulting uh, in West Philadelphia. Everybody starts hearing that song in their head as soon as I said it, you know, um, and. Uh, I went to school there, uh, undergrad, uh, medical school, everything uh, in Philly, met my husband there, uh, had all my babies there. Um, and then when we were really contemplating uh, race dynamics, because uh, then um, Philly was uh, especially still remains to be a very black and white uh, uh, culture, even though the, the, the diversity was really, really increasing a lot uh, even then. So we knew that for our kids, because they're a mixed race, we wanted to buy ourselves some parenting time uh, to have those conversations. Um, and uh, and then we had an opportunity to move to Hawaii about 15 years ago. Uh, so we moved to, to Oahu, which is the uh, where the main capital is um, in the island state. And um, I really always had an intention. The reason why that I went to medical school, all these kinds of things, I am uh, fluent in Swahili is because I thought that God's plan for me was that I'm going to be a medical missionary in East Africa, in Tanzania, that that's where I'm going to land. And um, one of my mentors here in Hawaii, uh, he said that he's like, Un, 
God was calling you to brown people, but maybe to like a different set of brown people, you know? So it just made me think uh, about how uh, so much of my own uh, learning and growing and being equipped, I feel like um, it's today in a place where um, we moved my parents from North Philadelphia uh, about eight years ago to Hawaii. And it's been such a gift to see my dad where he felt like in Philly, he just constantly was scrounging to like fit in. And here he is in Hawaii where he's just like, I feel like I'm in heaven, um, not because of the weather, but he's like, I feel like I'm in heaven because I feel like I have a sense of belonging. I fit into this culture. No one questions me, you know, by the way I look or or, or how I say uh, things. And it just was something that I um, really kept to heart that I'm so thankful that we have a gift of family here. Family is so important in Hawaii that that I get to also share in that um, and that it's a gift for, for both my children uh, and my parents. We love your story. <laughs> Tell us about your current ministry context. Make, make aloha. Yeah, Makelo'o. Yep. Uh, this is my uh, second church plant. The first one was, um, and I write this, uh, I'll write about this in, in the book because I feel like um, I have two sets of experiences, right? Uh, not just as a church planter, but uh, a church planter uh, who also did a very traditional model, uh, uh, a church plant with like the Sunday worship service centric, you know, and grew the church really, really quickly. So um, yeah, so the first uh, church was, uh, we had started with about 20 people. People started with a Sunday uh, morning worship service model, had some small groups, had a children's ministry, and in five years' time, we grew it to like 450 people. Um, kind of going through like year three, I was really, really uh, asking that question around discipleship. It's one thing to be able to grow something really quickly and grow a bunch of, you know, volunteer-based spectator uh, a core group of people. But um, uh, the, that question, that nagging question of discipleship has always been uh, on my mind. Um, and year three in that first church plant was, was when I started asking a lot more explicit questions around it. So fast forward, the, the second opportunity, um, uh, we did not start with a, a Sunday worship service. Um, we're in year six, and this next year will be the first year that we're going to actually have a public worship gathering that we're going to uh, start monthly uh, on purpose. And so um, I really anticipated that our church was going to stay this tiny little pocket of like 15 disciples meeting together, being equipped, growing together. And then that's what we're going to do for, for like the next five years. I'm like, Jesus, 15 people capacity. Thank you so much. I will trust you uh, with these people. Um, but in six years time, we actually multiplied it, um, that that uh, construct of a discipleship core group of people, about 12 to 15 in each uh, group that's tethered to some th some sort of missional space or an um, identified space of mission. So it could be like a neighborhood or a network. Um, so we multiplied that, uh, the year's date, we're going to, uh, year's end, we're going to have about 12 uh, different communities. And that's why, because we multiplied it enough times that we feel comfortable uh, starting some sort of public worship service uh, next year. So I'm curious to hear more from you. What does discipleship mean to you? What are some ways in which you have been formed as a disciple in your life? 
Yeah, I um, I love that question, and I think that um, it's probably uh, one of two uh, really pivotal uh, leadership questions. Uh, whether you know we we ask of ourselves or we ask of our our peer leaders and folks here, we're thinking about bringing uh, into leadership is you know um, have I been discipled. And have I discipled somebody else? And how do we uh, concretely know that the, that this has happened? Right? Um, I can probably say that I've been mentored by uh, many different uh, uh, sets of people, um, but uh, I know that there are two people who have specifically uh, discipled me. They've journeyed with me. Um, all of the contexts have always been in one-on-one -on -one settings. Um, I've discipled uh, people uh, for 10, in the span of 10 years, I discipled uh, 50 individuals one-on-one. -on -one. And, um, you know, everybody always feels like that's such a, an amazing number, what with faithfulness, you know, uh, uh, investment into people. And I really, really believe that, like, that, that's, it was such a gift um, in my own experience. Um, but I also knew that some parts of just one-on-one -on -one discipleship felt really limited uh, in my mind. And sometimes Sometimes it felt um, not uh, replicable. Um, it, you know, all the one-on-one -on -one stuff could have been that because it wasn't embedded into a context of some sort of community for for each of these individuals, it felt limited, and oftentimes it, it, it felt more like a counseling session a friendship session, you know, accountability, uh, maybe, maybe so, some guidance or skill set uh, based stuff, but it didn't feel, it didn't uh, sort of land the plane on what does discipleship look like within a community uh, that this person or, or this group of people uh, want to strive for. So a lot of the, the clarifying questions that I was asking probably came from, it felt like such a success story, right? Earn disciple of 50 people, what an amazing thing in our life, right? But I, I, really felt the the responsibility of how limited it was because I felt like it, if I didn't connect these people to a concrete community that's on mission together then then I probably missed something uh in, in that span um so discipleship I think in a, in a nutshell has a lot to do or, or everything to do with imitation I think that it is imitating Jesus I think that's the the faux pas when we try to sometimes do one-on-one -on -one discipleship because you give one model of what it means to be a discipler. And I feel like uh, in most of these one-on-one -on -one, uh, relationships, the people really wanted to just model me and just me, but not in a clear picture within like shared leadership or community, uh, on mission, things like that. So uh, imitation of Jesus, where I think it does two things specifically. It increases our spiritual confidence uh, and it increases our social competence that you know and love God and you're known and loved by God, but that's equally tethered to how you start behaving and living like God uh, within community. So I think it's, it, it's those two things specifically in how we imitate Christ. I love the distinction you just made between one-on-one -on -one discipleship and community discipleship and the importance of it. You know, God made us to be in community uh, with each other. So tell us a little bit how now you do discipleship within your micro communities. Mm -hmm. Yeah, um, it is really hard. <laughs> The commitment level probably feels harder 
uh, uh, doing it in sort of these micro communities than it is um, because there isn't that 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 luxury of like coming in and out. You enjoy some of that anonymity. Um, maybe maybe your attendance um, doesn't matter that much, but you still have the freedom to show up when you want to uh, or, or feel like you can. So uh, I do give a fair warning that um, that the, these micro communities or what we call discipleship cores um, do do uh, require a higher commitment level. But we also know that that it's not for years and years and years. We do put a cap to it about 12 to 18 months uh, within each of these micro communities or discipleship cores. And the main focus of meeting together uh, for, for the, the these uh, communities is so that they are uh, a concretely and intentionally discipled uh, through a discipleship pathway uh, that's unique to, to our local culture. Um, so, so each one of the, the, the discipleship cores um, uh, run through that. At the same time, they are tethered to some sort of missional space. So for example, that first year, um, 12 to 15 persons starting out together, um, being committed to Jesus, committed to one another, committed to the, the community around us. The community around us was very, very, very easy because uh, in my mind, uh, as, a, as a main leader, I needed to see what's the easiest thing that, that a community member could probably replicate. If these communities are going to multiply, what could they replicate? I needed them to be able to replicate discipling a group of people, and I needed them to replicate what kind of um, missional practice space would that discipleship core or that learning uh, community be tethered to. So uh, we had our discipleship core. We only met uh, twice a month uh, for about two hours each. Uh, uh, people are like, what do you mean you only met then? I'm like, oh, it just leaves a lot more space for practice uh, uh, time for people to work out and live out, make lots of mistakes, have like like uh, some victories, right? But have some time and a normal rhythm and pacing of how they actually live out uh, uh, their faith uh, in the in-between weeks. Um, it was tied to a community dinner. Uh, we wanted to keep it very, very simple on purpose. Not again, because uh, in my mind, do I think that uh, dinner churches are the end all be all of all community, you know, faith communities. I just needed something very simple uh, for my, um, uh, the disciples who are being equipped to be able to, to do on their own uh, in the near future. Can you give us some examples to share with us um, some some wonderful stories of how this has happened in those communities? Yeah, um, uh, I'll, I'll share with you. I love I love how Dwight you you started off um, thinking about why this is such a big pivot in thinking through. You know, is the church really making? Um, disciples of Jesus, or are we making a really strong volunteer base, right? And I think that's a really, really uh, clear question uh, to ask, right? Um, one of our leaders today, uh, she she would say that um, she would be the life lifetime winner of being the best greeter in church. She really thought that her full participation in being able to uh, be a leader in the church was that she was going to be one day the 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 point person for the a greeter's ministry. And the thing is, she's probably right. Anytime uh, Kelsey went to to any sort of church thing, she's bubbly. She's wonderful. She's super friendly. You know, she's a woman in her thirties who, who looks like she's like, she's like a teenager, right? So she's non-threatening, all those kinds of things. And so she really, really thought um, that that's, that was going to be how she's going to participate and contribute to the church. Um, discipling uh, a person like Kelsey within that first year 
Uh, she's a hospice care nurse. Uh, she um, has this deep, deep, deep uh, care for seniors, or what in, in Hawaii we call kupuna, who are the revered ones or, 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 or the elders in our community. And um, she happens to live in a neighborhood where there are three different low-income senior living facilities right within a, a bike path uh, from her, her condo to her workplace. So that, So that's Kelsey. When she got discipled, and one of the, the the questions that we started asking is like, who who who's our neighbor, and who do you feel who do you feel like God is inviting you uh, to partner with Him in the in the renewal of, of of all things, right? If those are one some of the questions, Kelsey's specific answer is the Kupuna who live in my neighborhood. Um, she at that point started gathering a, 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 a group of people. And if you're like the top greeter person that every church person would be like, you're, you're our point lead for, for greeting ministry, right? She's bubbly, friendly, all that. It means that like she's going to have like a really, really large group of people. So um, her, she had a small group that she that she loved. She was super, super hospitable, all those things. But she felt this urge uh, that God was placing in her heart for years. And only through discipleship, she started she started telling me i really feel like god's calling me to something it we worked on this for probably um a year before she was able to uh uh, uh utilize something uh that god was putting in her her biggest uh, fear was that if she shared this vision about um, wanting to start a community of people who whose whole goal was to love these low-income seniors in that neighborhood together, what would it mean if our whole uh, ministry was that these kapuna would know that they are seen and known and loved, right? That loneliness is the thing that's going to be eradicated in each of these uh, low-income uh, living facilities. She started asking those questions, but she was so afraid that she was going to leave lose this group we worked on it we worked on the vision pitch all that kind of stuff for for for, for months and then when she uh, uh uh shared this with her her group of friends it's really her friends right uh, she had 25 people in that in that group and um she was left with five people at the end who said yes to that vision so she felt like such a cost uh to do this uh, fast forward uh, six years later, when she actually stepped in and had had, had the the courage to do this. Um, uh, throughout the pandemic, they uh, provided um, one month's worth of groceries to 500 residents uh, throughout the, the, the pandemic uh, every single month. Uh, her group is probably the one that city and county look to to ask for how do we do senior uh, low-income senior care the best. And it all sounds really awesome because it feels like so charity-bound. But the, the truth of the matter is that um, uh, Kelsey has discipleship cores now in those low-income uh, senior living facilities. We have a hard to know that we have about five to 10 years to disciple uh, these residents uh, because they have a limitation in their own lifespan. Um, we know that these are people who don't have a lot of family, who don't have a lot of friends. So in their own discipleship, uh, these core groups of people uh, make sure to make a phone call so that every resident uh, gets a phone call every single week. And people are coming to faith because of their faithful presence uh, within the, those uh, uh, low-income senior living facilities. So that I think, what did they start off with? I told you, uh, community dinners are the easiest things to replicate, right? So they did bingo and pizza night. 
what senior doesn't love bingo and what <laughs> low income senior doesn't want to have like free pizza every week. Right. So they started doing this. And the only like Jesus thing that they did uh, it, it, uh, in the beginning was just to pray over the meal. And I remember Kelsey telling me that one of the aunties uh, who's from a Buddhist background, she would faithfully come because she loves bingo. And she was like, I'd like to pray uh, for, 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 for dinner this week. And they're like, Oh, okay, auntie. And then she does it. And she's like, I realized that, uh, you all uh, pray to God and say, Father. And we don't say that in my faith, right? And so she's like, but I just want to give it a try. So, so she she's just started off uh, Father God, and then she just broke down in tears because she couldn't understand how there could be a God that that she could uh, see as a parental figure. You, you know, it was those kinds of stories that eventually uh, uh, got built up so that, you know, now they have Jesus followers within their own uh, uh, living facilities where they, they all share resources. Um, uh, they love uh, checking up on one another. You know, usually uh, these the, these facilities would be people would just keep to themselves, you know, and things. But it's an entire community because uh, Kelsey started seeing what would happen if an entire um, uh, low-income uh, senior living facility, if they were discipled. You know, uh, now she's she's uh, going to grow it so that there are actually nine uh, low income living facilities identified in that one pocket neighborhood. And her big, big dream now is that what if uh, an entire neighborhood uh, became Jesus followers and if they were discipled, would they take on the task of adopting one low income senior? In e from each of the these living facilities, and then the entire neighborhood would actually become a family together. I just feel like that's what discipleship does. You know, what I thought that it was going to be, okay, let's just do a structured thing for, for 12 months together, try this easy thing of doing a community din dinner together. But I just really, really believe that like, you know, if discipleship is not the main thing that we want to um, have people work through, you know, I really feel like we limit what all of our people who attend our churches could actually do. Kelsey would have been really, really happy being a greeter the last six years and thought that she was contributing really, really big. And now we get to have uh, Kelsey who's leading, you know, multiple communities because of the love that she has uh, for this population of people. That is an amazing story, a beautiful one. And it just really emphasizes how in your understanding and practice in your community, discipleship really is about loving the neighbor and really engaging missionally as well as replication and and personal spiritual practice. So sometimes I think people, when they think of discipleship, that's, oh, I've just got to pray and read my Bible. But you have a very holistic understanding of that, which is really, really wonderful to, to see. Um, so in your book, you make a really provocative statement. You say, the thing about discipleship is if it's not at the center, it doesn't work. Unpack that statement for us. <laughs> uh, I really believe it, Dwight. Um, I'll, I'll just say one more thing. If discipleship is not at the center of your church, then I would uh, suggest that something else is. Uh, if discipleship is at the peripheral, if discipleship isn't isn't even in the scope of, of what your church is doing, then, then the next question that I would ask is, what is at the center uh, of your church? 
uh, because if discipleship isn't, then something else uh, uh, for sure is. And the way that we can think about if whatever is in the center is um, what are our assumptions around leadership? Uh, who do we think are leaders and who do we think are not leaders? Uh, how do we utilize our resources? Uh, Whatever is at the center is the thing that most of our resources are going to go uh, to. And how do we uh, divvy up our time? Uh, uh, it, whatever is at the center is what we usually give most of our time to. Um, and so, yeah, I think, I think the centering piece of where, where a thing is that we value is placed in the life of our congregation really tells us um, not only that we value that, but it really tells us how we behave and put our resources, time, energy, leadership uh, uh, towards that thing, whatever that thing is uh, in the center. Tell us what your goals are for the next six years. You've accomplished so much in six years. What's next? Oh my gosh, Dr. D, I feel like you're like putting me on the spot. <laughs> I am. <laughs> uh, what do I imagine in six years? Um, my prayer uh, every day is that oh, I, I pray that um, I would, in my own lifetime, experience the kingdom of God here on earth, here in Hawaii, in a visible, tangible way. Um, that even if I just get to experience just a little bit of a needle uh, being pushed there, that that's what I really, really uh, uh, desire to be able to see. Um, and, you know, I I happen to live uh, in an island state where in its own history, 90% uh, uh, of its residents, so local indigenous people who are living here, 90% uh, of its residents actually were Jesus followers. So I feel like if the, the, uh, the old adage is that history will always repeat itself, then I really long for that one day that I could see um, uh, the islands in Hawaii be people who uh, love Jesus, you know, love their land because because they love Jesus, love and include more family members because they love Jesus. Uh, think about whose rights they're going to fight for because they love Jesus, right? Uh, so, so in the next six years, I hope that I can, you know, contribute um, uh, to that here locally. Um, but I also feel like um, uh, because I I believe so deeply in how uh, how leaders think about discipleship that I really want there to be a clarity on how leaders are uh, where leaders are placing discipleship. Um, I think that you know in our era now where church planting there are church planting numbers statistically is not beating out how many churches are closing every year, right? I think in 2019, it was uh, 4,000 Protestant churches uh, closed their doors uh, with 3,500 uh, church planters, uh, planters uh, starting, you know, and most of the statistics are that church plants don't last the, the full five years, that they'll close within the first five years uh, of start time. You know, when I'm like looking at that kind of landscape in uh, um, North America in, in particular, then um, I'm really, really curious about what Centering Discipleship will do to the Big C Church uh, in the West, you know. Um, a lot of my work, you know, I work uh, also translocally with with churches uh, here in the U.S., but I also work with, with with folks and having these conversations with folks, you know, in Southeast Asia, in the U.K., uh, in Japan, in, in in different parts of Africa, and a lot of these these questions about how can a church plans last, right? A sustainability about the big C church is a big question. For me, I feel like it's. Um, uh, discipleship is that bridge work 
why it needs it ought to be centered is that discipleship is a bridge work of connecting the church to the city it lives in, connecting the church to what the community and community development actually looks like uh, in their real life uh, 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 neighborhood. Right. I think discipleship is what clearly uh, tells uh, Jesus followers to not just work towards a vision to grow their church, but uh, really work and live out having a vision for a renewal for their city. Um, mm. And that's why I think, you know, can it happen in six years time, Dr. D? I don't know, but I want that needle to move, you know? May it be so in Jesus' name. So you're a church planter, and we've you started to touch on this a little bit in that last answer, but uh, what would be your advice to church planters who might be listening to this conversation as they think about starting the work of a new Christian community and some ways to center discipleship in a new church plant? Yeah, that's a good question. I love thinking about it. Um, so, some of my uh, uh, friends and colleagues would argue that, you know, whenever you just uh, think about and camp on leaders, then you, you're you're not including the entire priesthood of, of believers, right? I'm like, I really understand that. And I think that discipleship is for uh, everyone. Everyone should be able to, every follower of Jesus should be able to go and make more disciples, right? I, I really, really believe that. I do think though, because of where that placement of discipleship is and uh, who determines uh, if discipleship is centered or at uh, at the peripheral uh, for communities, this is a leadership question, right? And so, you know, church planters are included in that leadership, you know, uh, role. Um, I think from the get-go, there's like clear pieces of how we know if a church or a community or a church plan is centering discipleship or or uh, keeping dis discipleship at its periphery. So for instance, if we kind of uh, uh, divvy it up into uh, where do leadership resources go to, um, where is the community being called to, and what, what does a community have a vision for? If you kind of look at those three categories, um, I can probably walk into any community and, and ask those three questions and find out where discipleship is placed within its community. Uh, so the resources part, like leadership resources, who do we consider leaders? Who are we training uh, leaders uh, uh, to be? Uh, what are we training them in? What skill sets do we value, right? All those kinds of things. Uh, most of the time, I think discipleship is at the periphery when most of the leadership resources are geared towards um, instruction, aka the sermon. Right. If most of our senior leaders or all the folks who are coming up the pipeline in leadership, if most of their time, energy, resources, training, time, all that kind of stuff is geared towards how to give a better sermon or or kind of that worship experience, right? Then I think that there is a loss because it takes away from how much time and effort and leadership resources we would put on imitation or discipleship. So I think it's um Peripheral is uh, instruction. I think centering discipleship is uh, imitation. That th that's where the resources are going to. I think the next thing of who are we, um, where are we inviting uh, the community to? Uh, most of the time, if discipleship is at the periphery, then we are inviting the community to a Sunday worship service. That's where most disciples would be like, hey, if I have a friend who's interested in becoming a Christian, I will bring them to this uh, to this worship service. Whereas I think when discipleship is centered, most of the people are moving out. 
right? They're, they're inviting people into the community that they live in, that they feel called to, uh, they feel compelled to love, right? And so it's a Sunday worship service invitation versus uh, an invitation to get to know the community better or their neighborhood better. And then I think lastly, um, what, what is it that the church has a vision for? I think if, sen- if discipleship is at the periphery, uh, uh, p- pardon my frankness, but I do think that it's that we have a vision for just our church. Whereas I think if discipleship is centered, then we're saying that we have a vision that there's a renewal for the entire community or renewal for the whole city. So most of our listeners are pastors in established churches. So you just answered that question for church plant, but how, how can our listeners turn the dial and do exactly what you just said, be more focused on the community at large, not so insular, not so much focused on ourselves, to really center discipleship, not just in my little church, but in my community. Get, just give us, encourage our listeners with with something where they can turn the dial. Yeah. I, yeah, I love that question, Dr. D, because I really, really believe that it's not just through church plants. We're just trying to think about innovative things, right, on all that stuff. But I'm like, we actually have to partner with uh, churches that are trying to remission and rethink about what does it mean to be the church, right? And and uh, and the brave ones who are asking the question, if my church didn't exist right now in this neighborhood, would it make a difference? Would we be missed, right? Would, would any of our neighbors even pay attention to that, right? Um, uh, you know, one of the, the uh, I, I just visited uh uh, uh, Pastor uh, Jonathan Brooks Church Lawndale uh, just recently, and and brought my own leaders uh, to what's happening in in that part of Chicago and how that church's presence really matters. But it was a church's presence for over over the uh, over thirty years, a faithful presence of being committed to Jesus, committed to the com- uh, to one another and the community around them. Right. Um, I think uh, centering discipleship actually happens even. Uh, better and more meaningfully in remissioning established church settings. Uh, I think that it's because that you already have a group of people. <laughs> you already have a, peop- a group of people who, who are in that neighborhood or, or, or attending this church and this location or this community uh, for a reason. Uh, my biggest advice is please start with the people has, whom God has given you to lead and love. As soon as you start thinking a- a- about other people, and wishing for other groups of people, and you start to have a resentment for your own people, that's not good leadership, right? Discipleship actually won't be centered uh, if, we, if we don't have good leaders who love uh, the people God has given them to lead and love, right? So that's the first thing. I think the second thing is that there's a lot of wiggle room to be experimental, right? That you can you can begin to assess and survey the people that that God's given you to be like who are the people who are already kind of living missionally, who are the people who are constantly asking questions about their neighbors, who are the people who are hosting things to like uh, go and do together uh, uh, within their, na- their their neighborhoods, right? Who are the people who are already hosting um, uh, dinners and meals uh, with their neighbors? To me, they're probably the uh, the, the front runners uh, of those who should be imitated as they imitate Christ, right? So uh, in my previous context, um, that's, that's what we did. 
uh, year three, when, when I started asking those discipleship uh, questions, uh, I started uh, figuring out what is it that makes a mature disciple versus an immature disciple. Everyone's going to be on, if you're a Jesus follower, right, you're on some sort some sort of, of spectrum uh, along those lines, right? So what's the difference between somebody being mature and somebody being immature? Um uh, and then you, you start uh, having lots of conversations with these people. Uh, uh, what makes it so that these are the particular people that, that other people in my church ask, go to for like wise counsel, right? Um, who are the people who are living out missionally? And those are the people uh, that, that other people want to join in on to experience what it's like to live uh, for the sake of their neighbors, right? Who are the folks who are so integrous that people are going to ask them for, for, for decision-making uh, ki kinds of, of questions? Like, what do you think? Or what kind of input can you give, right? So you kind of think about who are the folks who are already maturing or more mature than, than most uh, in my community? I take them first, you know, in, in my previous context, it was we took um, those kinds of leaders and we took all of our small group leaders. Why? Small group leaders are already a uh, uh, value hospitality. They already have uh, are leading uh, groups that are neighborhood or geographically based. Right. And so we took them uh, over the course of a summer. Um, we did. We broke even what I wrote in Centering Discipleship, and we just did it for 12 weeks. We took those mature uh, uh, disciples, and we took those small group leaders away for one summer where most smokers are just going to have barbecues anyway, right? A lighter schedule, meeting schedule, all that stuff. And for 12 weeks, we made sure that we were going to concretely disciple these leaders. Um, uh, it, it, while they're, while we're discipling them in, uh, in the fall, what we had them do was just like ha have, take the time so that everybody just begins to share their stories, do testimonies, take one or two people uh, from the group to just begin to share their stories over the course of three months. You guys will all know everyone's stories. What we did in the fall from, from the pulpit was, um, we shortened our sermons from 25-minute sermons to about 10 to 15 minutes. We really, really talked about discipleship uh, the most, and we platformed and highlighted all of our, our uh, small group leaders because our intent was that we were going to turn all the small groups into discipleship cores. They're already tethered to a neighborhood or a sense of mission that their neighborhood are the people that they're they're being called to. And so 15-minute uh, sermons, just talking about discipleship, platforming and hearing stories from these small group or neighborhood-based leaders. And then for 40 minutes, we just opened up the foyer. We put cafe tables up so that every week for an entire quarter, everybody who comes, their biggest meaningful impact was uh, interacting with one of the um uh, a neighborhood uh, a community leaders on purpose. All the communities would be kind of uh, lying around uh, 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 around, around the, the cafe table. They have their big neighborhood sign, you know, right above them and people just connected. It sounds crazy, but uh, in the course of, the, uh, of a year, we actually trained 85 leaders. So now they're, they're people who have been discipled and can disciple other people. Um, our attendance uh, for small groups or, or, or what we began to call as missional communities uh, outnumbered our attendance uh, on a Sunday worship service. We still were able to do both, but it's what and whom leadership started focusing on and centering uh, because we wanted discipleship to be focused on. So we have one last question for you. So um, what would be your advice to leaders who are in 
ecclesial traditions perhaps that haven't emphasized discipleship as much as the one that you're in, um, what are some concrete steps that they can take if that's really not kind of the cultural DNA and expectation in their church context? Yeah, I think that's a really wise and strategic question you're asking, Dwight. So I really appreciate that. Um, Yeah, I think that if, I think discipleship, that word on its own is such a loaded word that sometimes when that feels like, like, like the obstacle, then I'm like, let's not use it, right? But when we don't use that word, it helps us to begin to clarify what, how would we describe what discipleship is, right? Um, uh, I in my book, I kind of go further into this, but I think that if we just kind of talk about it more and every church, to, irregardless of, of uh, ecumenical background, right? Everybody wants to long to be more like Christ, right? That is the goal of a Christian is that we are going to, every day we're maturing more and more into the likeness of Jesus, right? If that's true, I think that every, every church, regardless of a background, can begin to ask, what does that look like in my context now? What does imitating Jesus look like in Philadelphia? What does imitating Jesus as an entire community look like in Kansas City, right? These kinds of questions help us to be to clarify a little bit what does maturing into the likeness of Christ mean? Um, I think the second thing is to uh, uh, know that there are probably, uh, in my uh, unbiased opinion, I think there's there are four uh, really, really concrete marks of, of mature disciples. I think it's uh, maturing into the likeness of Christ in, in Christ-like character, in Christ-like theology, the way he thinks, the way he thinks about God, he thinks about humanity. Um, Christ-like wisdom is every disciple of Jesus equipped and know how to navigate the complexities of life, right? And in a Christ-like sentness, if we're going to follow Jesus, then we're also going to be sent uh, by, by Jesus. I think those four things help us without having to use that word discipleship, right? But really to replacing it with, if we're called, all of us in, 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 in our church to imitate Jesus, what would that imitation look like uh, in our local place? Tell our audience how they can get your book. Dr. D, your audience can get Centering Discipleship, which is published by IVP. Uh, Really, you can just go to Amazon, Barnes & Noble, or you can do www.centeringdiscipleship.com and it'll take you straight to all the links that you need. Awesome. We appreciate you, Dr. Unstrausser, for joining us today. And thanks to everyone for listening. May the Lord bless and keep you. We'll see you. Uh, at the next episode of the Pivot Podcast.